All right, man. Today's episode, Anne Irwin. What'd you think? Well, you know, clearly Anne and I know each other. Yeah. Right? Did you notice? I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Old friends. Old friends. And Chris, what was interesting about Anne is, and she, you know, you, you, she, what you see is what you get with Anne. There's no doubt about that. But um, also the one thing Anne will not do is describe herself. And um, Anne is laser focused. She is tough. She comes across when you talk to her as very focused, almost mild mannered. Yep. But um, she is a go getter. I don't. I don't know if she ever went home. Oh wow! Right. She was that kind of leader. Do you know those leaders where they're just constantly at it and they don't seem to rest? You must know people like that. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, my my dad, for for example, he was uh, the county. Com- I'm sorry, not county commissioner, county engineer for like ten years. Yeah. And the people that work for him, like, worshipped him. I mean, because they knew that no, no matter what hour of day, he was at it. I mean, and he was always looking out for them and doing the best he could to make sure that he and his team were taken care of. So, so perfect example. So your dad and Ann will get them together, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> they won't be able to get in a word in edgewise. But I will tell you that. Um, working with Anne was was so fun, and in the meantime, my job as you know, even someone who hired her, was to just try to keep up with this lady. And what a she great... seems like she really cares too. Oh. I mean, that you could tell it comes out. Oh, she is she is all in, and I don't know if you could tell, but uh, walking away has definitely not been easy for her either. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. it hits people hard. It really does. And you're that really plugged does. in. It really does, and. You know, she deserves um, so much success, and yet she'll never take it. And I think that's what makes some leaders like Anne extremely special. Well, hopefully this episode will give her a little little extra spotlight to kind of her and her peers to reflect on. So I hope so. I don't think she'll accept it. But I will say this, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, you're just, just listen up. If you're number one, if you're a principal, you have to listen to this. And um, if you're not, this will give you a great example of um, – kind of a strategy on how you support principals in schools. So enjoy, everyone. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. Today is going to be fun. And the reason it's going to be fun, especially for me, is it's I'm kind of reminiscing. I am going to be interviewing somebody that I believe uh, that everyone will learn from. Um, The focus of today is school transformation, specifically at the high school. However, you will see that our guest has some lessons and perspectives um, and some strategies that I think translate to all levels of schools, as well as something for us to even think about even as district leaders, specifically as it relates to how we support and nurture the leadership of our principals. Today, I am interviewing a favorite, I didn't say the favorite, a favorite principal that I've worked with. And this goes, this takes me back to when I was working in Oregon. I was the superintendent of Beaverton School District, which is this incredible district just outside of Portland, a very diverse place, approximately 40,000 students, but a wonderful place to live and work. I was fortunate to be there for, I think, about seven years. And I had this opportunity to hire this principal named Ann Irwin. Anne is going to be joining me here any second, and Anne did incredible work. She was at Beaverton High School. We're going to go over some of those things, but the reason I'm interviewing Anne is I was recently talking to a mutual acquaintance of, of ours, Jeff Otis, and Jeff and I were talking about Anne, and I thought, bingo, I have to get in touch with Anne and do a leader chat because I learned so much by watching her, so much by just saying yes to some of the things that she was doing at the school and really admiring some of the impact that that had, not just on the culture, but also on the results. So we're talking high school transformation with Anne Irwin. So without further ado, let me introduce and welcome Anne to the screen. Anne, how you doing? Hey, Jeff, great to see you. Great, great to be with to, you today. Great to see you. Now, you and I know each other, so it would be very easy just to kind of dive in, but we can't do that. we gotta, 
we got to pause. We got to make sure that our listeners get to know you a little bit. I had the opportunity to say yes when you were raising your hand and, you know, applying for the position in Beaverton. And I believe we were kind of recruiting you or trying to pull you, yank you out of another district. And uh, we're fortunate. But, you know, that was, you were not a rookie when you came to Beaverton High School. So help our audience get to know you a little bit. Like, what is, what has been your path even prior to Beaverton High School? And then maybe even some of your motivations, maybe even mention your why, what pushes you, drives you then, and as well as maybe even now. Sure. Well, it's great to be with you today. Um, I am a very um, a longtime Oregonian. We came here when I was quite young. Um, very, very proud University of Oregon uh, duck alum. And when I went to the University of Oregon, I knew where my future was. I was headed to law school. Um, and so I uh, got out of school and started in some work on in politics. And um, that didn't turn out the way I had hoped it had. <laughs> and uh, But in the meantime, um, met a wonderful person who, who became my husband. And we worked in the legislature for a little bit. And then I, I thought, well, I, I still want to go to law school, so maybe I'll go... Uh, I could always teach. My dad had, was a teacher at the University of Oregon. It was kind of in, in my blood. I thought, well, I'll, I'll go teach for a little bit and save some money. Um, went to do student teaching. And the first week of teaching, I realized I, that I can do this the rest of my life. So um, I sort of fell into teaching backwards. Mm -hmm. But that love of politics and history and um, civic engagement kind of propelled me into the classroom. And it was sort of my why for a long time, helping students become um, aware and prepared to be active engagers in the um, civic community, wherever they ended up, you know, wherever they were. Um, so I did that for a very long time. Um, was asked to create an international high school program that became a cornerstone of the school and did that for a number of years. Um, and then eventually began to think about, well, maybe I could um, move on to broader leadership beyond the school. So I became an assistant principal at Hillsborough High School, where I taught for 21 years, uh, worked for Sloan Presidio, who was the principal, worked us very hard. I learned so much. And then um, the opportunity to go home for a couple years and be a principal at North Eugene High School came up. And I loved that work as well. It was, there were a, three small schools and so experiencing what it was like to make high school a little smaller for kids. Um, and then the opportunity to come home, because I was commuting to and from Eugene for two years, um, came up and uh, I was really excited to be able to say yes to the opportunity at Beaverton High School and spent 10 years there. Now, you know, what was it, what's interesting to me, uh, and the reason this topic I think is so relevant, Anne, is because, you know, I, I think right now the, the, there is this ripe opportunity for change. And I also think for many reasons it's difficult. I think that, you know, we're in this kind of political polarizing time. I think that leaders are often very nervous, uh, very scared to, to go out on a limb and make some changes. One thing I remember uh, very clearly about working with you is um, just not a lot of fear. And if you had it, you did an incredible job hiding it and pretending as though you did not. And you just seemed as though day one, you were interested in taking Beaverton High School from where it was mm -hmm. to where it could go based upon kind of this vision that, you know, you had, but also you formulated. Can you talk to us about just uh, where did this um, lack of fear or drive for change come from? Because that that's why I thought I need to talk to Anne, because you're kind of a change master in a lot of ways, specific, specifically at that high school level. Where did that come from, man? Sure, sure. Well, I love high school. I was in it for 37 years. I love high school students. I love the, the teaching that goes on. Um, I think it comes from an urgency, a sense that it's the last opportunity that schools have to help shape a student's future. Um, high schools aren't a destination. They're, a, <clears throat> like all schools, a stopping point, right? Um, 
And I just, I had that sense of urgency that, <clears throat> excuse me, that in, uh, in the life of a high school student, you have four years. And I taught for 21, so I saw, you know, sort of five ripples or uh, groups of, of students kind of come through in those times. But I guess it came from a, a, a sense that whatever it's going to take, we have to make sure that each and every student has the opportunities to prepare for the amazing future that awaits them. And that's our obligation. And so whatever fears there are or whatever, I call them yabbits, um, we have to just figure out how to turn those into yes and and, and um, s start making the changes that would support each and every student genuinely. When I got to Beaverton, it's, it's a school with a rich tradition of excellence, um, strong history of tradition. Um, it was the only high school for 50 years in, in Beaverton. And um, I had us start calling ourselves the Beaverton High School because we were here first. But what I found, and I think what you're talking about when I got to, to BHS was talented educators um, doing uh, strong work, but primarily with the students who several people would tell me, well, we work with the students who show up. Mm -hmm. That was confusing to me, to be honest. Um, and so yes and how would we get more students to show up and how would we make sure that their days are engaging that they have a sense of belonging that we're a strong community that um people know who we are and where we're headed and and that took some time to develop but it was clear from from the get-go right when i walked in um that there was some tremendous opportunity just re ready to be sparked ready to be ignited <clears throat> and that would happen if we could come to a, a stronger sense of who we were in the present, um, what our strengths and aspirations were, and then how do we engage um, ourselves and the broader community in efforts to move forward collectively and do that in a very purposeful, uh, planful way with a, a, a plan that was that had us looking up and out and not just down and in the and in the present how do we pump, become a school that's transformational not transactional and it was hard work it was very hard work so you know you you used um you used the the, the word we uh, several times just now um when we're going to get into the we in a minute but first let's uh let's focus once again on you uh just mm -hmm. to make you feel uncomfortable this is going to sure. be fun so um when when you came to Beaverton, um, Beaverton, and I'm I'm embarrassed to say, but it it was it's one of seven, right? Didn't we have seven high schools at the time? No, it's one of five. <clears throat> and we built the six later, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, so um, but it was our oldest high school, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it had um uh, a significant amount of diversity, uh, poverty, etc. And even though it held the Beaverton name, because we were the Beaverton School District, and um, it, it did have some, some challenges as it relates to issues of performance, especially in comparison to some of its kind of peer high schools. Well, you, on the other hand, um, saw, I think, something in the school that maybe some others hadn't recognized in a while. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm not saying that we're not motivated educators at Beaverton High School. That would not be fair. Of course, that's not the case. Of course, that's not the case. However, as a leader from day one, you saw something relative to what Beaverton could be, which is right the definition of, of a visionary in comparison to what was. So what, what was that? that you saw, and then we're gonna get into the we. I just wanna talk about kind of sure. your vision for a bit. Well, from the moment I stepped foot at Beaverton High School, and, and it was a difficult year, you know that. It, the, the school and the district had gone through massive um, personnel cuts. Massive. And then to reconcile those, those openings, um, dozens and dozens of people who'd been transferred to other schools. And so I joined a staff where there were people they were missing who'd left or were, were gone and people who were new who had left their 
beloved schools. And so that first year, um, as I just sort of listened and took care of people, the abiding sense of community was obvious. And that's what I was able to tap into, um, was that connection that alums and the community seemed to have with the school that was unlike any school I'd really been in. And I think unlike other schools um, in the Beaverton School District, other high schools, um, it's not to say that people don't support their schools, but there was a deep and abiding sense of um, long-standing strength of community. Um, and so I began to consider how do we um, galvanize that to help us imagine the future and then move forward to it. And so um, there were a group of people, you mentioned Jeff Otis, he was one of them, Joth Rickey, Doug Johansson, um, and uh, uh, some, some others, Megan Talalamoto, Michelle Bataro, Scott Reams, Lane Christopherson. They became, I wanted them to be called the Beaverton High School Business Roundtable because they were people in a variety of, of, of enterprises. And they said, no, we're just gonna be called Anne's team. And they began to um, move me through a reflective process of finding out who, we, who, who the school was and um, where we wanted to go. And so um, I would listen and talk to people and then do some writing and hand it off to Jeff and, and Doug and Joth. And they'd look at it and think, eh, it's okay, you can do better. And what it ended up becoming over several months is a clear mission and a set of core values that then um, I began to use to map a strategic plan forward for this for the school. So if our mission is going to be to to have every kid graduate prepared for confident in and excited about the future they they choose, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's just words on a poster or on a banner if it's not activated into action. So um, we just tried to figure out how would we get there. And you're right, that was difficult in 20. 13 in the early times when when uh, when I got there the graduation rate was 72% or something like that while the other schools were having greater success even some schools with as much if not more diversity than than Beaverton High School um, and so taking advantage of the pride that you mentioned and the strength of the community I said we got to figure this out um, and so we began to plan a, a strategic plan of five years and then quickly it became apparent, we can't do this alone. And I think that's a, a, a recurring lesson of my experience as a teacher and, and as an administrator, that um, the broader community in which the school resides and to whom the school is responsible can also come alongside you and, and help get that done. So that team that was Ann's team, um, we were very, very fortunate. We had a very generous donor who stepped up, saw that we were moving purposefully forward. And so I wanna support that. I wanna put um, some additional dollars um, behind that. Uh, you were the second call. You were the first call I made after that gentleman called me. And, um, and then another very successful donor came alongside us and, and, and now we are really um, taking off but always bringing the fuller community to bear um, and to, to lean in and, and help us. And um, that was hard work and it required uh, lots of hours, lots of extra hours, lots of networking and communicating and, and always being willing to ask the hard questions, know when you knew how to move forward and especially know when you didn't know how and to ask for help. Um, and to ask for guidance and uh, and be willing to say, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to figure it out right? because it's important. And as a result, we, we had some very strong success and enriched that sense of community even deeper than it already was. Um, you know, this, this, the fact that the, the team called it Anne's team is, is interesting because um, in, in some ways, I do think that's reflective of some of the 
the vision and the hope and the inspiration that you were trying to, you know, pump into the school. However, it's very contrary to your strategy, right? Your strategy was not um, an, an and strategy mm-hmm. at all, right? I mean, you you are you articulated it really well, but I watched you reach out and gather a very wise and strategic group that was from the community that could represent different aspects of the community to help you know create this momentum and urgency and narrative at the school that is something that i i would agree i don't i don't think you could have done on your on your own that's because i just don't think great leaders do that so how is it Anne, that a lot of leaders i think are challenged by that right they feel a tremendous amount of pressure on their shoulders to kind of own the room they walk into right whatever room that may be um but what what's your what are your thoughts on how um you but how other leaders can potentially um, give that ownership away so it's it's kind of co-owned the the labor is a labor we all do relative to supporting our kids versus it being on the principal how, how What's your strategy on that? No, that's a great question. Um, you know, my uh, family knew that when I took the the principal's role at at, um, at Beaverton High School, that I was all in, man. I, you know, I was going to be at as many things and 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 throw myself into that work. Um, but you you already said it. I, you know, I, you have to do that collectively and with. I had strong. Um, co-leaders, assistant principals who, who worked alongside me. Um, we put in place uh, groups and, and uh, collections of, of, of people within the school who would help uh, move that forward, whether those were professional development teams or um, vision teams or, or, or uh, department chairs. And those are fairly traditional. Those aren't, uh, aren't unusual. I think where we were on a different path was the the variety and the amount of um, outside resources and community members we brought we brought in, um, and those were not just donors, but also um, local faith based organizations or nonprofit groups who had a service to provide. We partnered with local um, colleges and universities to bring in mental health interns. Um, to serve for a year. And as a result, we were able to increase the services that we were able to provide for students. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't know that we would have survived the pandemic to, as well as we did without all those community partners that we had um, who who delivered, we, we delivered kits of <laughs> Kleenex and um, uh, chicken soup and other things to every family when we found out there was a COVID case in their family. Our teachers would step up and take them. I mean, we just tried to always remind people that we are a, a community and we we um, we take care of each other and we move forward into the future together. And um, I'm not sure I really answered that question, but um, I, you you can't possibly do everything. You can't, and you shouldn't anyway, because it's not. Uh, I I rarely used even when I was a teacher the pronoun my, I, I really never referred to it as my classroom. It's our classroom. We're a community of learners together. I tried to encourage people to think about school as our school. Um, and and uh, we're all responsible for what happens each and every day in our classrooms, in the halls, um, and how we engage with families. And if that, if that And you can't possibly do all that. So you have to have others lean in and help you. So... So the last, when we were talking, kind of preparing for, for for this conversation, you used this term that I want to dive into: collective efficacy, mm-hmm. right? And um, you know, you mentioned a couple things about that. Number one, that I think it was by 2017, you said the the admin team was talking about collective efficacy in a very different light than what was the case in say 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Let's start by first describe what you mean by collective efficacy, and then let's talk about almost the strategy on how a leader 
creates kind of this shared uh, version of what that is so that, you know, the team is kind of marching to the same beat or the same drummer. Yeah. So what collective efficacy um, sounds like is that each and every um, staff member, uh, educator, classified staff member, believes in the potential of every single student to succeed. They also, and this is one that is harder for people, they also believe that their colleagues believe that too. Um, and I don't think with the second you can't have the third, which is we're all collectively going to engage in whatever it takes to um, provide the opportunities and the supports for each and every student to succeed and to prepare for a, an amazing future that's waiting for them. Well, that's what it sounds like. And that's easy to put on a PowerPoint presentation or on a poster. <laughs> right. What it looks like is um, people talking about uh, the needs of students and then getting to work to make those um, needs, then fulfilling those needs. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, as our student demographic shifted, and rather quickly, um, the number of students for whom English is a second language increased dramatically. We had resources from the district. We had talented and dedicated um, English language learner teachers. Um, we had uh, assistants who were there to support students in a, in a variety of classes, but they couldn't be everywhere. And it became apparent to a small group of teachers, we're going to have to figure this out. And even before the admin team could make any sort of, um, I'm, I'm really proud of this example because it it, talk, it's, uh, it it demonstrates collective efficacy in action. Teachers started experimenting with things, whether it was Google Translate or the immersive reader or um, uh, partnering students together in class, whether it's a physics class or an algebra class or uh, an art class. And then they began sharing those with each other. And we just gave up some of our previously uh, otherwise planned professional development to teachers sharing what they were doing um, with each other. And that just took root. And, um, and, and students were being more successful. We bought a slug of um, pocket translators and just gave them out to students to use. Not only so that you can use them at school, but this is a, a skill you're going to need for the rest of your life, potentially. That's collective efficacy in action. And then what collective efficacy looks like in results. Um, and this is developing that sense of urgency. And you and I talked about that earlier. Um, there, there has to be a sense of, of urgency to change, um, to move a school beyond the transactional nature of running school every day to a more transformational, um, genuine change environment. I know that if that collective efficacy, we know that collective efficacy worked at Beaver High School because the, the gap between the school-wide graduation rate, which is one of the markers high schools use for how we're doing, and our Hispanic Latino population, in 2014, that gap was 26 points, 26 point gap. By 2020, it was six. That's collective. That's what collective efficacy looks like in results. That none of that happened solely because Ann Irwin was the president, yeah, the principal or the president. No. Yeah, <laughs> it happened because dedicated uh, educators across the board believed in students and said, and then were willing to recognize where the gaps were, where the deficiencies were in, in, their, in their classrooms, in the school, in the processes in the school, and then set to work um, to find solutions and bring them to bear. And that's what happened. That, that's, that's what happened. Um, you know, and this is, um, it's interesting for me kind of listening because um, number one, you're describing some of the momentum and movement and this kind of transformational change at Beaverton extremely well. It's often hard for leaders to say specifically and directly what they did, right? I mean, they can tell the story about what happened, 
But it's really difficult for a leader to say, well, let me tell you how I walked and how I talked, right? That's sometimes you just don't know, you just do. Mm -hmm. But one thing that um, I remember really well, and I know was important to you, was that, you know, I would say everyone leads. That might not have been the term, but what I noticed at Beaverton High School was that, and you already mentioned some teachers that just started taking some risks and trying some things. Maybe they didn't even ask permission. They just started doing things because you had created or a culture, not you, a culture had been created relative to, you know, um, risk-taking and leadership. I remember very well the student group that Mm -hmm. took on social media. And the social media, even then, that was a long time ago, I guess, was blowing up in Beaverton High School. And... It wasn't you, right? This wasn't because you were the social media queen. That was not the case. But somehow, some way, that leadership was given away and owned. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the shared leadership that you may not be able to say, this is what I did to make sure the shared leadership took place? Maybe rather just tell the story about what the shared leadership looked like and felt like at Beaverton High School and maybe some of the results there. I mean, tell the story of the student group and social media. That was, Mm -hmm. that was, that was awesome to watch. Yeah. And and you're right. I, um, we, back to the, the teachers who, who were organizing some informal professional development amongst themselves. We didn't, we, they did that, not that they needed our permission, but they certainly got it. And, and I'm, one of the, I think, successes that, that I've had as a leader is saying yes um, as, as often as possible or getting to yes and figuring out how to make it happen after the fact. You're right. When I got to Beaverton High School, um, I'm not a Luddite, but I was not engaged in <laughs> social media. But I knew enough to know that uh, we needed social media, um, especially as we were going to become beginning to tell this story, tell the Beaverton High School story to a broader community. Um, I knew I didn't know how to do it. I knew if I did it, it would be bad. And I knew that students would probably be um, some of the best to do it. So a, a very um, engaged, inspirational teacher, Katie Robinson, and I chatted and she created a small group. It was only four kids, I think, at the beginning. It wasn't a class. They met with, with her and they designed this social media that you're right just blew up and became a model for other schools um then it became eight kids and she took them to the new york social media conference they were the only kids there it was phenomenal then it grew and it became a class and you just say yes and then you um give give that inspiring teacher give those students what they need to be to move forward with what it is and then you know, come alongside and support and, and um, do whatever it takes for it to take root. But that is one of the best examples is the social media is still some of the best around. And because students do it and they tell the story, they're going to tell the Beaverton High School story or the story of, of your school far better than you ever will. So um, that's one. I mean, we, we looked for opportunities to include students in as many avenues of running the school as possible. We put them on hiring committees for um, teaching positions. We had teachers, uh, eventually we got to the point where we could have teachers do a a sample lesson before some students, but we put students on hiring committees um, for teaching and coaching positions. Um, I had a student come to me uh, during the pandemic. He'd been in an English class that I taught. I taught an English class with with, uh, English teacher, Marsha Nakatani. And during the pandemic, he said, I wanna do a TED talk at Beaverton High School. Well, I'd never done it. I not even watched that many TED talks. I, so I said yes, and we figured out how to do it because <laughs> empowering students to do work like that, you're getting them ready for the future. Um, we just looked for opportunities all the time, and when students would bring a, a situation, sometimes you can use you can parlay that into that getting them to do. Uh, engage in that work. I had a student who came and said, you know, we have these nice older kind of lamp posts. I've been to other schools and they have these banners. And I think it'd be great if we had some banners. So fantastic. Why don't you design them? 
So she did. They were wonderful. They were um, around our four core values of excellence, learning, community, and tradition. She brought me the designs and she vetted them with other kids and with her, her marketing teacher. And she said, how's this? I said, that's great. Here's the name of the person at the, the company who does our signs. Why don't you contact him, negotiate the, the contract and the delivery and finish the project? <laughs> you know, just getting, getting stuff done in a way that that was a valuable lesson for that student. That student felt seen, connected, contributing to the community. Um, and so we just looked for opportunities like that, whether that was staff or students where a good idea, as long as it was aligned to the mission and um, we could support it, we said yes. And in, in all, all the while you um, were engaging in this kind of, you know, really honest um, discourse with community and students, mm -hmm. um, a lot of leaders will create student advisory groups. That's fairly mm -hmm. common. Um, I will say, while that's common, what's not always common is a level of really brutally honest conversation. Um, I've been to many, I've led many student advisory groups, and um, often there's there's a level of kind of politeness because students are extremely, extremely respectful um, in so many ways, and you know that. They, they often are, especially much more so than, you know, a group of adults in some ways too. So, but your group that you were working with, your kind of advisory, had this like brutally honest conversation with you, right? And, and you invited me, by the way, as a superintendent to come sit. And I remember sitting and thinking, hmm, this is different, yeah. right? So can you walk us through that level of honesty that you invited and accepted and probably didn't bristle too much or at least outwardly that it would allow the students to be so upfront and clear with you yeah well uh, probably two or three years in into my time at beaverton i started a group called the principals advisory council on equity pace um a, a, a Counselor at the time, Bonnie Heaton and i started uh she helped me and the counselors to select a diverse a group of students who would represent the diversity at, at the school. And it was, as you said, an advisory group. And we, we got together in the first um, conversation. We set some guidelines or some some um, some principles to follow. They're ones people are familiar with. Um, you know, speak your truth um, and be open to discomfort and accept non-closure. And the final one, sort of whatever we talk about here stays in this conversation. And the first session um, was another opportunity for me to listen and to hear from the community, hear, hear, hear students. And Jeff, they told some of the most um, angering and disappointing stories about what they had experienced in classrooms and in the halls. And some of them were stories, if I thought long enough, and if I kind of did a little ferreting out, I could figure out who the adults who were responsible for these actions were. And so we, I listened to these stories, one, one about a girl being chided for um, trying to help uh, uh, someone in front of her. Her friend in front of her had been twirling her hair with her pen and gotten her pen caught in her hair. And the, the, the teacher um, snapped at this young woman, stop picking the lice out of her hair. And it just mm -hmm. crushed me. Mm -hmm. And other stories like that. And I thought about it for a month. And I cried and I was angry. And I, I talked to um, colleagues I trusted. And um, and we it was time for our, the next uh, conversation, a month later. So we came in and um, I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to start first. And I explained this. I'm, I'm really frustrated because I these are horrible things that have happened. And this isn't the school we that you all believe it can or is and should be. And I want to fix these things. And the student who told that story said, well, you can't. I said, yeah, I can. I can fix this. Uh -huh, and sure. she said, no, 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 no. Remember, we said you have to accept non-closure. And what stays here, uh, what's spoken about here stays here. And on top of that, we need to fix it. We need to find out what's um, what's happening in our community, and we need to be the the people who go out and 
create a culture at this school so those that doesn't happen again. And that's just empowering students um, and showing them that you trust them, you believe in them, that uh, this is their school is, and, and that everyone has to roll up their sleeves and, and help. Um, and that you, you have to see, um, you have to be willing to see, you just have to be willing to see. Um, and then once you see, you have to act. You can't not act. Um, cause being a spectator is, is, um, complicit in the action. So, yeah. Um, you know, and when we, um, when we talked, uh, recently, we had this we had this conversation that's actually kind of a tricky one to have it has to do with uh, leadership transitions and i bring this up because it is a really um it's it's a really vital topic right now well, we, we recently in the leadership circle that that we manage we recently had a think tank on transitions and a think tank is when we we gather people and the concept is was we're going to put the problem and their challenge the dilemma in the middle of the table, and then we're going to walk through a protocol where knowing there's no silver bullet answer, but we're going to kind of tap the collective wisdom of the room through this discussion to try to bring to light maybe some new strategies or thoughts we had it, we wouldn't have on our own, right? And so we had people join from around the country and we put them in a room and we had a really robust conversations on that. Um, but like I said, there's no silver bullet answers. And I know that I've entered and left positions sometimes at the right time and sometimes at the wrong time. I mean, I have made some mistakes on that um, and learned, you know, in hindsight and learned through actually some level of regret at times. You were at the school for 10 years um, and saw some really, really amazing things. It, definitely in the time that I was there for, I think, at least six of them. Um, can you talk to us about this concept of transitioning like when you thought okay you know there is a culture now and i can step out and how you feel about it now even though that may be a tricky thing to talk about i think it's important that we sometimes talk about what's hard especially knowing that there are leaders all over this country there's a mass exodus from leadership right now from principalships definitely all the way up through the superintendency um, it's not just a superintendent issue it's a leadership issue in schools and districts right now um, and that's which is the data is very clear it's an all-time high it's higher than even teacher movement um, so what are your thoughts on transitioning when and where and now looking back what do you think about it well it, you're right the, I think the average tenure of a high school principal is three years um, mm -hmm. And I, I guess for me, I knew that Beaverton High School is going to be my last, my last school. Um, I knew that retirement was uh, was in the offing. Um, you know, I, I could have retired. I forget which, like the year of or the the year in the pandemic. And there was no way I was going to leave without coming back to school. Um, and I miss every day the hubbub. Um, and the excitement of being a high school principal. I miss being in the halls. I miss being, I miss watching teaching and learning going on in the classrooms of my colleagues. And I deeply miss kids every day. Um, I'd gotten to a place and gotten uh, Beaverton High School to a place that we, we felt like we were in a, in a good position. We had lots still to do. There was plenty still to do. Um, but the community support was there. Um, we had a good sense of, of preparing students for a, a future. We'd come to an understanding that we hoped we could get every single student either um, enrolled in a post-secondary institution, enlisted in one of the branches of the military, or, or employed. And that was our responsibility. To do otherwise was, was really probably malpractice, educational malpractice. Um, but I also had other um, endeavors I wanted to explore. And so um, I don't have regrets. I don't, I try not to have regrets. Um, I, but I do miss it every day. And, uh, and I found other ways to make that transition in a way that continues to serve people. So you mentioned um, Jeff Otis's work and Project OTY, I'm an educational consultant for him. Um, which is a, 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 a 
platform, an opportunity for students to reflect on who they are now, their strengths, their transformational moments, and, and build a, a concrete and actionable plan towards the future. Sort of what we did for Beaverton High School on a school level. In fact, Jeff was one of the people to lead me through that process. So I'm grateful to be able to have the time um, uh, to be able to help in, in, in that. Um, I got approached by a number of nonprofit uh, organizations to serve on boards of director. I only chose one, and that was the Beaverton Resource Center that supports students and families who are facing houselessness um, or economic insecurity, um, and they galvanize community resources and partners to um, support families in the Beaverton area and students. And so again, it's a, a way for my um, my heart for community engagement and it taps into my faith to be able to support them. And then I'm also doing some educational consulting with um, Matt Coleman and the and the folks at Inflection. And I, I have time to do that, you know, and, and so, um, and I have time for my family and to putter in, in the garden. And, um, and I, I, you know, I'm in the last, I hope, I'm in the last third of my life. Right. And I've um, and so I'm looking forward to continuing to serve my community and serve education in a in a different way, um, but still deeply connected to the to the idea of of getting each and every student ready for an amazing future um, and supporting teaching and learning and all that that has that can be just so amazing. Um, I got to watch it for 37 years, um, but. You know, I, I think you you make a transition when when the time seems right for you. And, yeah, uh, and I think I did. So. Yeah. Well, good. Well, let me ask you this. This is this is kind of our infamous last question. I ask I ask every guest this. Mm -hmm. um, the majority of our systems to support leaders are actually not talking at. It's creating these roundtable processes, right? Leaders helping other leaders. We believe in these systems of collaboration. So um, this is the one thing that we do that produces kind of this continuous content. But if you and I were to pretend we're around a table and with us are educational leaders, principals, maybe assistant principals, superintendents, assistant superintendents, regardless of title and position, um, knowing what you know now, looking back on this really amazing trajectory you've had as an education uh, educator, but also this leader, specifically um, what we're talking about here, this 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 work at Beaverton High School. What would be kind of your drop the mic brass tacks advice for leaders? I mean, you're on an elevator, you don't have an hour, you're just trying to. This is this is what I want to leave you with. What would you say to them? I would say um, you need to look for, see, and celebrate the joy you see every day. Uh, it doesn't matter what um, what you do in life. There is joy um, in every opportunity and in every day. And there is because at the heart of any endeavor and experience and leadership or anything is the power of relationship um, and it doesn't matter who you read um you know sengi or uh, you know brene brown anyone everyone knows the harvard study that's been watching a long uh, longest longitudinal study about uh life and happiness and uh, everything comes down to relationships and it is your role as a leader to be open to that to foster those with other people and to foster them within your community and then um, galvanize those relationships to positive work in service of kids because that's that's who we work for we work for our students and we um, our partners with their first teachers, their families, um, to help them move forward and just be open to seeing the joy every day and open to building positive relationships that um, benefit the individuals, the students, and your school. Well, I, I will tell you, Anne, um, I personally uh, 
have regrets. And it's not as though I live or am driven by guilt or anything, but I actually try to embrace and kind of learn from them. And I will tell you that um, I I want you to know how uh, what an honor it was to serve with you in the Beaverton School District and what an honor that was in general. But to watch and support and do my do the best I could at saying yes um, to some of the work and just watching what was happening. It served as an opportunity for me as a leader to to learn, but also just feel like I was a part of something. And uh, I thank you, and I thank you know your the Anne's team, um, and I remember them well um, for that, uh, as well as you know the opportunity to kind of catch up and have this conversation because this content helps other leaders also reflect on what they're doing. Um, and I just wanna say thank you for continuing to, to give. So know that I have always appreciated and I, and I still do your leadership very much. And I know I'm not alone in that. Well, I thank you for that. And I wanna thank you for giving me the permission and the model that, um, that said, yes, it's reach out, get support from people outside the, the, the walls of, of, of Beaverton High School and build strength in community. And I followed your lead. And, um, and that's, that's not usual. That's unusual uh, to be that open to bringing the community into, into schools. And um, maybe some of my courage to do that came from the fact that you said, that you took the first step and, and led in that direction. I know that was challenging for you at times, and I appreciate your leadership in that. And it gave me permission to, to do amazing um, work with, with a, an amazing school. So thank you. Well, you're welcome, and I'll, I'll send you the check for that. So thanks. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and take care. Uh, thank you so much for this. We really appreciate you. Too. you. Thanks, Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, you now you can see why I, I called Ann or emailed Ann and said, hey, can we do this? Um, number one, you could probably tell it was a great opportunity for me to to catch up and reminisce, but the, to do so in a way that I think provided some maybe strategy and motivation to you. Um, ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, thank you for engaging. Let us know if you want us to connect you in any way to any of the people that we engage with in our leader chat. Thank you for your noble work. Be well.